It's so good to be here with you this morning. I'm going to introduce our speaker in just a moment, but before I do, I got two quick things. If you're a guest with us, if this is your first Sunday and you like more information on the church or more information about following Jesus, we have a blue card right in front of you, the guest card. Fill it out, write so we can read it, and we will get a hold of you. If you've been attending for a while and you're wanting to take a next step in our discipleship pathway or into the life of our church community, we would love to talk to you about that. Uh, turn it to the connect side of the guest card and you'll see that there's plenty of ways you can give us your information. As uh, The other announcement I have before I introduce our speaker for this morning is we have a business meeting right after church. It's a pretty short one. We're going to welcome a new member into our family and we also have our church family and we also are voting to finalize uh, uh, our, our search committee for our upcoming uh, search for a youth pastor. So if you're a member, please stay. Be a part of that conversation. We anticipate that being a pretty quick 10 to 15 minute meeting, uh, and we would love to have you be a part of it. This morning, I want to introduce Josh Bowers. He is sort of my family, and so what I mean by this is it's a, a loose connection, and you know when you get married, you get a whole other side of your family. So not only is my wife awesome, which she is, and super cute, she also has an incredible family. And so I've gotten to inherit all kinds of family members that I really, really want to be around all the time. And Josh is one of those, and his wife Emmy is too. She had to work so she couldn't be here. I wish she could have because she looks just like Sarah. And it really is fun because the thing with uh, Sarah's family, and this is way more detail than you need, uh, Sarah's mom's sister married Sarah's dad's brother. And it sounds fishy, but it's not. Sarah's mom's sister married Sarah's dad's brother. So they're double cousins, and there's this really special connection. They're scattered all over the world. But uh, Emily and Josh have moved to Detroit. And he's going to tell you a little bit about that. He's starting a church in Detroit through Harvest Bible Chapel, which is through James McDonald's network. And so he's going to speak. He did a great job first service, and I'm really excited for you to hear him. Uh, Josh, would you come forward? So glad to be here. How's everybody doing this morning? Good. Uh, I, I know it like at least three people said something. So <laughs> I'll just take that for all of you. Um, hey, it's 11 o'clock, right? So we've had a little, or 1030, sorry, the 1030 service. This is the like, we're on fire for Jesus service. The nine o'clock, you know, they've got to wake up a little bit. You guys have had chance. Like you've been awake for a couple more hours. Um, so I'm just, I'm excited to see what's going to happen this service, you know? Um, so hey, my name is Josh, and uh, like Bill was saying, uh, it's been really great to be married into this family. Like, um, we really, really love Bill and Sarah, and it's just like a, a cool, I think, God thing that we're all uh, connected in the way that we are, and we don't just love them because we have to. Um, you know, like, they're, we actually do like them as well. Um, you know, there's those people in your family, and they're like, yeah, I love you. Like, I have to. It's not like that with them. So we're really thankful for them. And uh, yeah, so we're in Detroit. Uh, if I can just tell you a little bit about what we're doing there, and then I want to get into God's word, and I believe he has something that he wants to speak into all of our lives this morning. But uh, we've been in Detroit for just about four months, and uh, we were actually going to plant a church in, in London, in the UK, not London, Ontario, uh, as much as I love Canada, not really. Um, <laughs> Um, no, no, I'm just kidding. It's great. It's great. If you like overpriced gas, it's the place to be. Um, no, I, I'm just kidding. I love through Canada. I drove through Canada on my way here. And you know, it's so funny. I remember one time I was going into Canada 
this is totally an aside, I'm sorry, but I was going into Canada and like Canadians are so nice that when they have to give you a hard time at the border, the agents, it's like they're almost sorry immediately. Like they were like, where are you going? I was like, oh, we're going to here. They're like, what are you doing? I was like, oh, I'm there. Like, okay, have a nice day. You know, it was like, <laughs> as quickly as I can be nice to you, I want to be. But um, anyway, we were going to plant in London, England, and um, God just had different plans for us. We really felt like he was leading us there. We've uh, been pastoring at a church in the Northwest U.S. for about eight years, and God did some great things there, and it was really great to be a part of it. We felt he was calling us on, and um, we thought London was the place, and we, long story short, we got denied entry into the country. Uh, the visas never panned out. And so we're like, okay, God, well, where are you directing us? And then Detroit came on our radar. And we hadn't really heard much about Detroit um, in a positive light in a long time. Um, Detroit and London are not really that similar, um, <laughs> in case you were wondering. They both have people in them. Uh, and that's where, about where it ends. It's just pretty much that. But we were going to London and God, you know, he just, the Bible says man makes his plans, but God directs his steps. And so um, we heard about Detroit. My brother, who actually lived uh, in this area in upstate New York, uh, he lived in Greece. And he called me one day. He didn't even know we were considering Detroit. They thought we were still going to London. And he says, hey, um, I forgot to tell you, but my job's thinking about transferring me to Detroit. And we're like, no way. And he's like, yeah, I'm going to be there this week. And we're like, we're going to be there this week. And still didn't tell him because we, we didn't want to influence his decision. We didn't know what, what was going to happen. And anyway, it ended up that we were both going to Detroit. That was kind of a cool story. And um, God just set some things up, we felt like, for us to begin the groundwork of planning a church there. And Detroit, uh, it's about the 12th largest metro area in the country. Um, so there's about four to five million people in Detroit. And the statistics say it's about a 20% evangelical Christian population in Detroit. And so um, if you do the math, and of course, you know, we don't know all the details, but there could be a lot of people who don't know what it means to have a relationship with Jesus and the life and the purpose and the peace and the grace and the forgiveness that comes with that. And so we really felt like God was calling us there. And so we've begun the groundwork. Our church is actually going to be called Cross and Anchor Church. We're connected with um, the Vertical Church Network out of Chicago with James McDonald and Harvest. Um, but we're our own independent church there um, in, inside of their network. And so we'd love it if you pray for us. Um, and uh, if you want to get any more information, you can just Google Cross and Anchor Church. Um, but we're excited to launch hopefully early 2019. We're building our team right now. And so far, it's been great. God's doing a lot of great things. And Bill and Sarah kind of got to check it out firsthand. They were like actually lifesavers because our car broke down while they were, they were there. And they gave us a ride to pick up tables and chairs for our event that we did for Cross and Anchor Church. So how awesome are Bill and Sarah on their anniversary coming and helping us with our church? Can we give a hand for your lead pastor and his wife? Yeah. You guys want to like get into the word of God? Let's, let's do that. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for your word. Uh, you know us. You know the details of our lives. You know exactly what we need to hear from you this morning. And so I pray that you would speak to us in a powerful way through your word this morning. I love that your word says it's living and active. It's alive. It, it reads us when we read it. And it tells us what's going on in our lives that needs to change, that we need encouragement in. So, Lord, we just want to be uh, 
receptive to what you have to speak to us this morning. And I just pray personally that you would fill me with your spirit to be able to communicate your word uh, in a way that connects with the people here. And we pray this in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. amen. If you have a Bible, you can turn it to Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12, we're going to start at verse 2. This is one of the most famous verses in the Bible. Uh, And once we read it, you're probably going to recognize it. I'm going to read it to you in just a second. My wife and I, we've been married for about three years. And our honeymoon was incredible. We got to go to Europe. It was like trip of a lifetime. We went to Paris. And uh, it was like, it was so amazing. Like every part of it was incredible. Like 95% of our honeymoon was picture perfect. But still, 5% that any trip, you know, every trip, doesn't matter how well you plan it, something happens that you weren't planning for, right? And so we get on this trip, we're we're in Paris, and then we rented a car, and we're going to actually drive through France and into Italy. I don't know if you knew this, but Europe, uh, I don't know the exact dimensions, but it's, you know, maybe about the same size land-wise as like the lower 48 of the United States, but twice the population. So there's a lot of people everywhere. So we're driving through Italy, actually, and we get stuck in a traffic jam, which is like not uncommon for our trip. But the thing was, I really had to go to the restroom. I'm just going to be honest with you. Can I just be honest in church this morning? Is that okay? Uh, I had to go to the restroom. And so it was getting like dangerous, you know? (laughs) It wasn't just like, you know, next stop, honey, can you pull? It was like now, you know, restroom now. So I tell my wife, uh, we're stuck in traffic, and I'm like, honey, really got to go to the restroom. Why don't you just jump into the driver's seat? Um, and you're only going to move like a few feet forward, like because this traffic is going so slow. I'll find a restroom. I'll come back. It'll be great. And she looks at me. And I haven't been married for long at this point, but I know like this is not a good look, right? <laughs> and that's even better than the look I'm going to tell you about in just a second. So, so I jump out of the car. I thought it was in park. It was in drive. So it starts rolling forward. Emily gets to the driver's seat super quick, slams on the brake, barely avoids hitting the car in front of us. Then she gives me another look. <laughs> yeah, I, I, again, not married for long, but I know this is not the kind of look that I want to receive. A friend of mine calls it the Wi-Fi. You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> the Wi-Fi signal was bad. So I go to try to find a restroom. I come back. Um, but it took a lot longer than I thought. Using the restroom in Europe is an adventure. I'll just say that. You have to like pay to use the restroom. Come on, America. So, <laughs> so anyway, I'm running back to the car as fast as I can because it's been a lot longer than I thought. I'm afraid Emily's out of this traffic jam. We don't both have international data on our cell phone. So this was a really bad husband move in a lot of different ways. Um, but I'm running like down the street. There's all these cars facing this way. I'm running against traffic and I'm just running so fast. And then I just like bite it. (laughs) Like I slid emphasis on slide down the street. I remember like I get up because I was kind of shocked, but also you're like, I'm a man, right? This doesn't affect me. So I just bounced right back up. I remember seeing this guy looking at me through his windshield and his mouth was open like, Like, yeah, dumb American, right? So, so I, I bounce up, and I'm like, I'm just going to keep going. And about half a block down the street, my body starts to give me the warning signs, like, you're not doing okay. 
my hands really cut up, bleeding really bad. My knee is like a different shape than it used to be before I started running. And um, anyway, I finally catch up to my wife. She had gotten out of the traffic. She'd pulled off to the side because she's smart. And I'm coming up to her, and I know that this is not going to go well. So I anticipated it. I walk up to the car, and I just go, I had a fall. (laughs) Anger turned to compassion until we got into our next fight, and it was totally good. But all that to say, even in the best of times, even when life is going great and everything is turning out how you hoped it would and it's all kind of lining up, none of us are exempt from unexpected hardships, from difficulties, from challenges. I mean, all of us are just a moment away from getting a text message that could change our life forever. Receiving a phone call, hearing news that alters the rest of our lives. And so I think it's so important that we have something inside of us that's able to guard us against the most challenging of circumstances, something that's able to catapult us above the difficulties of life, a barrier between us and the things that can happen to us that we weren't planning for. And the Bible calls that joy, joy. See, you can have joy in any circumstance. You can have joy through every trial. You can have this powerful force that God has promised that will guard your life even when life is falling apart. And that's the kind of joy that God wants to give us. And it's not like this optional add-on. I think people treat joy like it's a B-class citizen of the fruits of the spirit or of heaven. But joy is just as important as everything else or it's at least up there. Joy is a non negotiable. We have to have it in our lives. Amen? And don't we all need more joy? Is anybody like, yeah, I'm doing good. I don't need any more joy. I'm totally good. We all need and we want more joy. And what I want to talk about this morning is how we get it, what it does for us, and how it can change our lives. And Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, says this about Jesus and joy. It says, fixing our eyes on Jesus the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. Sorry, I lost my place for a second. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Wow. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. Imagine, this is the most excruciating, horrendous, difficult, painful death that any of us could ever experience. In fact, the word excruciating was invented to describe the pain that people would go through when they died on the cross. And so Jesus, when faced with that kind of death, how did he get through it? What was his motivation? What was on his mind? The joy set before him. That's some powerful joy. That's the kind of joy that I want. I've called this morning's message, a joy to die for. A joy to die for. Jesus went through the most excruciating death possible to obtain this joy, but sometimes for us, it's the little things that rob us of joy. Am I right? Like driving on the road with other people. You know what I'm talking about? Okay, here's my pet peeve. 
I drive a lot. I've, I, for some reason, the last few years, I've just driven a ton. And I'm, I'm the kind of guy who I'm like, I set my cruise control and I'm just going that speed. You know, it's long distance. It's like speed limit 70, set it at 70 or close to 70 or whatever. And I'm just going that speed. And then you get the people who like, they want to pass you, but then for whatever reason, they get past you and then they slow down. Or you're trying to go past them and then they speed up. They're like, oh, I wasn't going that slow. It's like, you got to pass them and pass their pride. You know, I'm like, Let's just forget the pride. Like, if I'm going faster, that's great. If you're going faster, no problem. Like, I just want to set the cruise control and go. And then here's the new thing. Have you noticed this on the road? When people want to pass you and they start to tailgate you, to signal you that they want to pass you, A, if you do that, stop it. It's dangerous, dangerous. Also, it's so annoying. Like, there's a lot of times there's like several lanes. You, you, you could easily just go in the other lane and pass me. You don't have to tailgate me, Right. So it's the little things that rob us of joy is what I'm trying to say. Anybody else? Is it just me up here? You see, little things can rob us of joy. Yet Jesus went through something excruciating to obtain this joy. Not only did he go through it to obtain this joy, but also Jesus was a person who was marked by joy as he lived. Marked by joy. You see, when we think of Jesus, I don't know what we picture, but oftentimes I think it's not really what Jesus was like. In fact, the Bible calls him a pretty ordinary looking person. It says there was nothing that would necessarily attract you to his appearance. Um, Jesus was just, he was an average guy in terms of his appearance. He, he worked a, a carpenter's job. Like he was just kind of ordinary in the world's eyes. And when we picture Jesus, I think we picture a guy who's like maybe intense or like super serious, or like always mad at people. Like, like, why are you doing that? Stop it, you know? But Jesus wasn't like that at all. Listen, Jesus was marked by joy. How can I prove it to you? Well, if anybody had the fruits of the Spirit in their life, it would have been Jesus, right? I mean, he wouldn't have just had love, peace, patience, joy. He would have had those to the full. He would have been the most loving, the most peace-filled, the most joy-filled person you would have ever met. Kids love to be around Jesus, right? And people wanted to be around him. Jesus, I think, was the kind of person that you would have liked to hang out with. He would have been so filled to the brim with joy. And yet we as his followers aren't always marked by that same joy, are we? I wonder when your name comes to someone's mind, what is the defining adjective that gets connected with your name? You know, Phil is so perturbed. Alice is so angry. Bill is so amazing. <laughs> but when they think of you, they think, man, that is a person who is filled with joy. Because joy is sadly so uncommon in our world today. If you have joy, you will stick out, guaranteed. In fact, if I told you to think about the people in your life that are marked by joy, they probably come to your mind fairly quickly. Like joy is a rare and uncommon thing in our world today. And it's because the devil knows that joy is a weapon in our arsenal against him to turn people to Jesus, that he will come and attack our joy with anything at his disposal. The devil loves to try to rob us 
of joy because he knows when we have joy, we're gonna stand out and people are gonna wonder, what do you have in your life that I don't have in mine? And so whatever it is that's trying to rob you of joy this morning, the devil loves to try to condemn us, to try to make us feel guilty, to rub our past in our face, to try to do whatever he can to get our eyes off of Jesus and have our joy go away. And so this morning, I just wanna tell you, whatever is trying to rob you of your joy, that's not from God. It's time to let go of that. And it's time to walk into all of the purposes that he has for you because God loves you and he has a plan and a purpose for you and he wants you to have joy. So don't let the devil rob you of joy. We have to be people who are marked by joy. That's what God wants from us. But before we go any further, I think we have to get on the same page regarding the definition of joy. Because when you have the wrong definition, it can lead to problems, right? Any grammar Nazis in here? Yeah? I don't really like that term grammar Nazi, by the way. Like, let's just take Nazi out. So anyway, any grammar uh, fiends? That's our new term. Grammar fiends? Okay. Thank you. I, I love you. Like, I, I'm, a, I'm a grammar in a totally appropriate way. I'm a, um, <laughs> sorry, sorry. That, hey, it's, we're just having fun. So grammar is an important thing to me. And I think a lot of times people use the wrong definitions or they use the, they think it's the right word, but it's really the wrong word, like literally and figuratively, okay? How many people are saying literally and they mean figuratively, right? Literally means exactly like this. It's not an exaggeration. This isn't hyperbole. It's not a picture. It's literally like this. Figuratively, on the other hand, is supposed to be a picture. I'm trying to give you an idea. I'm exaggerating a little bit. It's like this, I had a friend who was trying to get his buddy a raise. And in the meeting, he said, Brian is literally the oil that makes this machine run. <laughs> Brian is oil? <laughs> you see, when you have the wrong definition, it can lead to problems. And so we have to understand what joy actually is if we're gonna have it in our lives. And there's so many misconceptions about joy that I think we need to shatter this morning that aren't what joy is at all. And speaking of that, the, the definition of joy in the dictionary is this, a feeling of great pleasure and happiness. A feeling of great pleasure and happiness. Now, I know I just told you that I'm all about finding the dictionary and right definition of a word, and I hate to disagree with the dictionary, but I don't think that that is really the picture that the scripture would paint necessarily of what joy actually is. And by the way, I wonder how many of us are having problems in our life because we're letting the dictionary define something or we're even letting the world define something instead of letting God's word define the things in our lives. Because when you look at life through the lens of God's word, that will change things in your life. And when you start to try to take the world's perspective or their way that they want things to go and put that over your life, it's gonna always lead to problems. We have to start here. And so what does the Bible tell us that joy is? Well, first of all, let's shatter these misconceptions. Joy is not a feeling. Joy is not a feeling. I mean, feelings are great. I love when I feel great. But my feelings are up, they're down, they're in flux, and they're unreliable. If I try to live my life based on my feelings, I'm gonna end up crashing. 
It's like if I was in a plane and I was using the instruments that were there at the dashboard to fly and I was having my feelings be those instruments, I would end up going through the clouds and down into the sea. I have to rely on something that's greater than my feelings because my feelings are all over the place. But yet God tells us that we can have joy and have it all the time. So joy and my feelings are not connected necessarily. Also, joy is not happiness. I mean, happiness is great, but we can get happy from doing the wrong things. There's a lot of times when it would make me feel good and make me feel happy to do something that God tells me not to do. And how many times have you heard people in your life try to make an excuse for doing something that's not what God would tell them to do and say, doesn't God want me to be happy? So happiness and joy are not the same thing. They can be in the same place at the same time, but they're not the same thing. A car can be, or sorry, I can be in a, in a garage, but it doesn't make me a, a car, you know? So joy is not happiness. Joy is not my feelings. And lastly, I think we really gotta pinpoint this and just annihilate this misconception that joy is related to our circumstances. Joy is not related to our circumstances. False. The Bible says about Jesus, Isaiah 53, 3, that he was a man of sorrow and acquainted with grief. How can it be that Jesus, who went through, again, one of the most gnarliest of all circumstances, right? in fact, the worst of all circumstances, yet he was still filled with joy. So joy in our circumstances are not connected. So what is joy? What is joy? Well, this is my best shot at defining it based on what I see in scripture. And what I would say joy is, is this. Joy is your soul finding its satisfaction in God. Joy is your soul finding its satisfaction in God. You see, the reason that our joy oftentimes is in flux is because we're basing our joy on the wrong things. We're basing our joy on our circumstances, on our feelings, of our, on our level of happiness at the moment. But if we want our joy to be reliable, it's gotta be attached to a reliable source. And the most reliable source is something that will never change, something that will always stay the same, someone who is eternal, someone who is the same yesterday, today, and forever, a person who is reliable and is constant through all of the variables of life, someone who is always there, who keeps his promises all the time, a rock and someone that we can build the foundation of our lives on, and that's God. God is the only one who can come through on all those things. And so therefore, I want my joy to be attached to an immovable source so that my joy is unconquerable, undefeatable, and able to catapult me above any circumstance that I experience in life. That's the kind of joy that God wants us to have. But sadly, we look for our joy in the wrong places, don't we? My wife and I, we've been married for a few years now, and it's amazing. If you're not married, I highly encourage it. It's really good. Um, get yourself a wife or a husband. It's a great thing. And uh, it's just that easy. No, I'm just kidding. So make sure that they love Jesus. So I, I love my wife, and um, 
one of the things that is interesting about marriage is the things that you used to put in one place now end up in another place. Have you noticed this? Like, I think especially, like, the wife tends to find what she would think would be a better location for the thing that you usually put in this spot, and now it's over here. And, the, and she doesn't necessarily think you need to know because she thinks you should know this is the better spot for this thing. So, like, I don't, you know, I don't know where my shoes are. I, like, <laughs> I don't know where my pants are at. And, and, and sometimes once I get to know where they are, they're now in a different place. It's like, oh, so now we're putting them here. Okay. And so I'll go back to the old place, and I'll try to find the thing, and it's like, oh, now it's not there, and now it's just empty. You see, I think that our joy is like that sometimes. Like we're looking in the wrong places for our joy. And then when we go back to try to find out where it was before, it's moved. It's in a different location. Because anytime we try to find joy in a source other than God, it always leaves us wanting. It always leaves us empty. And I'm sure that everyone in here, or most everyone in here, can relate to that, right? You've tried to find your joy in something from this world. And as good of a thing as it is, ultimately, it ends up not fulfilling on its promise. Someone told me last service, they said, joy, or the world tries to promise you joy, and it Dang it, I'm gonna mess this up. <laughs> this is why I shouldn't take a quote from somebody else and try to put it in the message of the next service. Uh, something about how joy is an elevator, but you end up getting the shaft. You can figure it out. It was a really good quote. But that's what the world does. In fact, the book of Jeremiah talks about that. It says, God's speaking through Jeremiah. He says, he says why, why do you buy bread that doesn't satisfy? What, and he talks about digging wells that, that never ultimately hold any water, quench your thirst. That's what it's like to try to find joy from this world. Yeah, maybe at first it makes you feel good. And so you go back again, but you find out it takes twice as much to make you feel what you did the first time. And then you keep going back and eventually it just doesn't satisfy at all. No matter how deep you dig, the, the water is not there at the bottom of that source. And so here's the deal. God's not trying to hold out on you. God wants you to have joy. And so because he knows this isn't gonna satisfy, he says, don't go digging down that well anymore. Come over here and I've got living water that will quench the thirst of your soul for eternity and you will never be thirsty again. That's the kind of joy that I want. And that's the person that I wanna listen to about where I can get joy is Jesus. So joy comes from God. Joy is connected to Jesus. And I think you could also add this onto our definition of joy. Joy is the soul finding its satisfaction in God. And then this, and knowing that he is in control and that he is good. You see, it's not enough to know that God's in control. We hear that all the time, don't we? God's in control. God's in control. Why did this happen? God's in control. You see, you can't just know God's in control. It's great to know that he is, and I believe that he is. He's an omnipotent, all-powerful, such a strong being who is in control. But here's what really brings the joy, not just knowing he's in control, but knowing that he is good. 
Because if God's in control and he's not good, then I'm worried that everything that's coming in my life, what if, it's, what if he's out to get me? What if he's against me? What if this is gonna turn out for, for something that's bad in my life? No, no, no. See, God is in control and he is good. And that's why Romans 8, 28, which we all probably know, says, and we know that God works together in all things for the good of those who love him and are the called according to his purpose. Listen, if God gave his son to die for you, his son, most prized thing in his world to die for you, then you can be confident that he loves you and that he's gonna give you everything you need to have a life filled with joy. But oftentimes we know this, we know that it's true, but we don't really believe it. It's like, oh yeah, God's in control. We hear it all the time. It's like what you learn in kindergarten. It's like elementary Christianity. God's in control, God's in control. But then we hit a rough patch in our lives and we're like, is God really in control? And if he is, is he really good? Because this does not seem like a good thing. You know, the Bible doesn't say, notice Romans 8, 28 doesn't say that all things are good. It says that God works all things for good. There's a lot of bad stuff in this world. I've experienced some hardship myself and I'm sure that you have because Jesus said in this world, you will have trouble. But then he says, take heart for I have overcome the world. So this world it throws all of this stuff at us and we have trials and we have tribulations, but we know that God's in control and ultimately at the end of the day, he's gonna work it for our good. Listen, not one of you are gonna get to heaven, stand before God, look back on your life and say, I still don't understand. Why did you do it like that, God? But all of us, when we get to heaven, if we've put our faith in Christ, We'll look back on our life and I believe what we'll say is this, God, you couldn't have done it any better. And so if we're gonna say that on that day, why can't we live like that's true today? Yeah, I don't understand how it's all gonna work out. And I admit that there's a lot of challenging, hard, difficult, painful circumstances in life. And I'm not trying to mitigate that or downplay that at all. And God doesn't either. Jesus wept when his friend died on earth. He understands our pain and he's right there in the middle of the difficulty you're facing. So bring him your sadness and your grief and the hard things you're going through because he will grieve with you. But then at the end, know that in spite of all of it, he has promised that he's gonna work it together for your good. And you can rest on that. And you don't have to wait to see it. You can believe it right now. And that brings joy. Does it make sense that joy is not a feeling? Joy is not an emotion? That joy is not an uncontrollable thing that comes and goes, but something you have the choice to believe today? That even in spite of the pain, God, you're good and you're in control. I hope we've shattered some misconceptions about joy. The last thing I wanna tell you this morning is this, that God wants you to have maximum joy. Maximum joy, it's our last point. But before that, can I just tell you a brief story? So we are doing one of our first vision nights, uh, like interest meeting to tell people about our church in Detroit. 
And so far that they've gone well, like keep praying. Like we've had about 80 people that have showed up to our interest nights and we're building a team and, and we're just praying for God to do something incredible in Detroit. We really believe that city is on the rise. God's doing amazing stuff there. But our first vision night, we're uh, getting ready for it. And there was a church in Canada that was gonna bring us a sound system. And I've already told you what I think about Canada. So we knew that this was pretty unreliable. Uh, no, 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 just kidding, just kidding. What actually happened is they brought the sound system to the U.S. border, and it was the U.S. border that gave them a hard time about it. They thought they had everything figured out. So the day before our vision event, we're without a sound system for this thing. We have a band coming. We're hoping that, you know, people are going to show up. We kind of need some kind of sound amplification system, but we don't have one. And so I kind of am freaking out a little bit. My wife was the one who got the news first, and she's like, honey, don't worry, but blah, blah, blah. That's always a great conversation starter, right? Honey, don't worry, but like, okay. So, and, and I was a little freaked out, and, and then I started thinking, you know what? I've been in a lot of situations, and God comes through some way or another. So, um, turns out there was a, a family that was coming. My brother's family, actually, was coming to this vision event from upstate New York, and uh, we asked them if they could bring a sound system with them because they had connections to uh, a place that had a sound system. And so they ended up bringing the sound system. So we got our sound system. And then when it was all said and done, the guy says, hey, um, we know you're just getting started and you're going to need stuff. So why don't you just keep it? So now we have this, I don't know how much it's worth, but more than we would have spent on a sound system at this point in our church's history. And it's just a small example of like something that seemed bad that God turned for good. And I, I don't know, again, I'm not trying to downplay. That's just a, a small example. We don't always see how it turns out in the end or why God allowed this to happen, but I promise you it's gonna turn out for good. Anyway, God wants us to have maximum joy. You see, I think sometimes we don't understand that God is really committed to our joy. Like we kind of think God is like out to get us or he doesn't want to us to have the best thing, like he's trying to hold out on us. But God is really committed to our joy. In fact, Psalm 84, 11, it says, no good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. You see, there's nothing that God will ask you to do that won't increase and expand your joy. Yeah, it might cost you something. In fact, it might cost you a lot, but it will never cost you your joy. The only thing that will cost you your joy is if you choose to disobey God. I can't think of one time in my life where I have gone against what God has told me to do and I've looked back on it and said, yeah, it turned out pretty well. I can think of plenty of times where I've said, gosh, I wish I wouldn't have done that. You see, God is more committed to your joy than you are. God is so relentlessly committed to your joy that at times he'll even let things come out from under you so that you can see where your joy is really being based on because he doesn't want you to have an unreliable foundation. And so he'll allow circumstances to show us that we're maybe not putting our joy in the right place because he is very, very committed to that. John 15, 11, these things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. John 16, 24, until now you've asked nothing in my name, ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. This is a theme throughout scripture. 
God wants you to have maximum joy. God's given you this insane capability for joy that if he were to dump all of it into your life right now, you wouldn't even believe the insane amount of joy that he could give you. And you know where the most maximum joy is found? The Bible says it in Psalms, Psalm 1611. In your presence is fullness of joy. You are never gonna find more joy than in the presence of God. Yeah, there's a lot of great stuff on this world. There's things that God even blesses us with that he's meant for us to enjoy. But there is not one thing that comes even close to comparing to being in the presence of God. And the Bible has promised us, Jesus has promised us that we will be in his presence forever if we've put our faith in him. But yet sometimes we let these things come into our life that just get us sidetracked or get us worried or take our joy from us. And I believe it's because sometimes we aren't living with an eternal perspective. Jesus, in Hebrews 12, 2, it says, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. What was the joy set before Jesus? Was it a lot of money? Was it having a bunch of stuff? No, 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 no. The joy set before Jesus was redeeming you and I for eternity. You see, Jesus had an eternal perspective that enabled him to get through the hardest circumstances in life. And if your joy is waning this morning, maybe it's because you're starting to only look at the right here and now and the temporal, and you've lost the perspective of eternity. That's why Jesus said, don't lay up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust can destroy, where a thief can break in and steal. Lay up for yourself treasures in heaven. You see, God knows that what will last longest is worth investing in the most. I wanna put as much as I can in my eternal stock. Not that there's anything wrong with accruing wealth here on earth, but I don't want it to just go to me. I wanna use that wealth to further his kingdom because I want it to count for something that's eternal, not just right here and right now. Imagine if I were to tell you, hey, Bill Gates um, told me today he's gonna send you a million dollars. It's coming on Friday. I know it's for sure. I forwarded the Facebook message five times. And <laughs> if I was like, hey, I got the email from the dude in Africa. The money's coming into your account. You just need to give him your you know, Western Union information. No, but let's say it was legitimate. Okay, getting a million dollars this Friday, promise. It's like, it's good to go. I know the guy, he has the wealth and the resources. It's gonna be in the mail and you'll get it on Friday. Now imagine I come to you on Thursday and then I steal five bucks from you just because I want to. How mad are you gonna be that I've stolen $5 from you knowing that a million dollars is coming tomorrow? Not much, like, it, it, what, that's a drop in the bucket compared to what's coming in the future. But yet, how many of us, when we're robbed of things here on this earth, treat it like our world is falling apart and don't realize that we have something coming up in the future that's worth infinitely more than anything we've lost here on earth? My eternal bank account, I want it to be so full 
that when I get to heaven, I get to enjoy that forever. Jesus invested his resources in the right place. And so he was able to sit when it was all done at the right hand of his father and enjoy the fruit of his labor for the rest of eternity. And the day is coming for us when we're gonna stand before God, we're gonna give an account for our life and hopefully we'll have something to say, God, I did this on earth to invest it into eternity. That's the kind of thing that we need to live our life for and that's the kind of thing that will keep us having joy even when everything else seems to be going against us. You know, when you're in the middle of a storm, it's hard to really have that perspective, isn't it? It's like, man, I thought everything was supposed to work out and yet here's all this stuff coming against me. But yet it's in the middle of that that God wants to make us aware of his presence and remind us that we can have joy in him. God's committed to your joy more than you are. And so I don't know where you're at this morning. I don't know if your joy tank is on full or if it's on empty, or maybe it's somewhere in between, but I believe God wants to fill it up to the max. He wants you to walk out of this place this morning with regardless of what's going on in your life and your circumstance, with your head lifted high, knowing that you're a son or a daughter of the king, that he's in control and that he is good, that he's committed to your maximum joy, that your joy is a choice. It's not based on your feelings. It's not based on your circumstance. It's not based on looking around and comparing to what other people have to what you have, but it's saying, God, I believe that you are good even in the storm and in the trial, and I will see your goodness on the other side of this, and I will get through this because, God, you are for me and you're not against me, and I know what's coming up in the future is better than what's behind. And so I have hope and I have joy even in the hardest of circumstances. That's the kind of joy that we could die for. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word and for your truth and for your, your grace. I just love it that your, your word says your mercies are new every morning. Man, even if we messed up last night, your mercies are new every morning. And so even if that would potentially try to rob us of joy, we can rest assured that we're forgiven, that we have grace. Lord, I just pray that you would make us such a people that are incredibly marked by joy, that that would almost define us, that when people think of us, they would think, wow, those people are full of joy. And it would make them want what we have, which is you. You are the source of our life, of our peace, and of our joy. Thank you for this great church, for what you're doing here. I'm so excited to see it continue to move forward into the future, Lord. You are building your church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. We pray all this in Jesus' name, amen.